So hello to the Lerong Lickman Show, the show that explores the human component around business, marketing, and communication in a hybrid and changing world. My name is Lerong Lickman, your host, a global business development consultant and a business relationship and personal branding strategist. And today on the Lerong Lickman Show, I'm so very excited to have to bring you a girl power show. Please meet Kelly Vero. Kelly, how are you? Hi, hi. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, Kelly, me too. And first of all, it's the first time I had someone with this blue marine, uh, blue color on their hair. So I think it's it's amazing. And thank you for, you know, making it more fun and interesting for me and for the viewers. <laughs> well, you know, we only live once, don't we? Thank you. Exactly. Got to do everything we can to have as much fun as possible. I totally agree with you. And I'm sure this conversation is going to be fun as well. And just for our viewers to know, so Kelly Vero is a creative badass, if you haven't noticed, NFT and metaverse rebel, fashion disruptor, future gazer, game developer, speaker, and an amazing person I was fortunate to meet through our agency Thinking Heads that also supported uh, this interview. So thank you for uh, helping this collaboration. Um, and so where, where are you in the world at the moment, Kelly, because I know you're traveling a lot. Yeah, so I just live outside of Zurich in Switzerland. So that's where I am today, where we're talking from. Good. And originally? I'm originally from the Midlands in the UK. So a place called Nottingham. Nottingham. Amazing. And you're traveling a lot and we're going to, to learn more about it. So just before we dive in, um, I would like to share a bit more about um, about the audience, about who, 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 am I, who am I going to speak with today? So we're going to talk about opportunities to enhance real life and business through the metaverse. And just so you know a bit more about Kelly Vero. So she has worked in game development and the tech industry for 30 years. Kelly has worked on some of the world's most famous franchises and has worked on wide range of games. I'm sure you know them as Tomb Raider, Sirius, Transformers, Amazing Candy Crash. Um, she has worked with Adidas, Fila, Puma, and on various uh, Louis Vuitton uh, projects for gamified products and services. And more recently, uh, Xi was the technical co-founder of the world's first metaverse for children called Aqualand. And I would love to learn more about it. Um, you're currently one of the top 100 future women in the world, uh, supported by Forbes magazine, which is amazing. And I want to have more women in this list. Um, you're a former MTV reporter and broadcaster. And also her membership and compliance experience include Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, Children Online Privacy Protection Rule, COPA, uh, Children Exploitation and Online Protection Command, and Chair of Video Games at European Commission Creative Europe 2013 and 2021. So that's amazing and there is more to share. But we're going to talk about uh, today only uh, on some topics around the metaverse, like opportunities in the metaverse that me, that people, startups, founders may not know how to transition your company from Web 2 to Web 3 and create positive impact via the metaverse, which I didn't even know exist. Um, so, Kelly, without further ado, please share more about how did you start working in the gaming industry and then you did the transition for metaverse. So please share a bit about your fascinating background with us. Now, when I first started working in the games industry, it, it was very small. It's a huge industry now, and it has overtaken music and movies as the biggest entertainment kind of sector in the whole of the world. 
But prior to that, there was kind of, well, it felt like there was about 20 of us working on video games, like worldwide. Obviously, the Japanese had it real sorted over there. And they were creating incredible franchises like Mario, etc., for the Super Famicom and all of those types of consoles. But then in 1995-ish, 96, a new console came to Europe and the West generally, and that was the PlayStation. And it was around that time or three years before that I started working in video games. And really, it was a sort of happy accident. I had been for many years a real fan, a massive fangirl of video games. And so I taught myself to code from about the age of 10, wasn't very good at it, but I sort of still carried on. And also in the meantime, I went to school and did lots of experience in everything from literature to business management and all of that kind of stuff as well. And I brought all those things together in the games industry because it was really necessary to do that at the time. You had to be a person in those days that wore many hats. I don't think that's so necessary anymore. So all of us old folks, a big shout out to the old game veterans. We're all multitaskers. But I think these days people are much more disciplined in their field in the games industry. And so you, you will find just game designers, just game programmers, just game writers and audio leads. But back in our day, we did everything. So you had to learn on the job real quick and I'm pretty adaptable so I seem to fly through my career pretty well because I was pretty quick to learn stuff and thoroughly enjoyed and was incredibly passionate about everything that I did and then kind of about sort of eight years ago or so I started working on a gamified platform which was actually a metaverse and we didn't use that word in those days it was just called a gamified platform or a game But it was more of a social experience than it was an actual game that you might find in Call of Duty or Tomb Raider or even Transformers. And what this social platform did was really just that. It brought people together, their opportunities to meet, to exchange and all of that kind of cool stuff. And now eight years on, actually, it's coming up for nine years This metaverse is still drawing down 250,000 users per day worldwide. It is the biggest metaverse currently in the world. And it's called Avakin Life. And I was very fortunate to work on it in the very beginning. And that was my really first foray into the metaverse. During the pandemic, I used a lot of my experiences in game technology to be able to pivot towards everything from digital fashion to femtech, mental health applications, anything you can think of really, Leon. And and so therefore, it was super great to be able to flex the muscles that I'd flexed when I was so much younger, wearing loads of different hats in an arena that calls for versatility. So basically what you're saying, you're experiencing gaming in, in games, gamifications, in obviously learning all the different um, aspects and roles that today are standalone roles, actually allowed you today to become so versatile and work, work with so many and adapted or adjusted to so many different sectors. And from, yeah, from avionics, from avionics all wow. the way to mental health. I mean, it's all there. It's just, you know, the experiences that we have. I, I like to think about it as a knowledge transfer. The metaverse gives us a great opportunity to transfer our knowledge in lots of different ways. And I, yeah, I just feel so happy to be working in this space. 
And, you know, before we, um, I'll, I'll, I want to learn more about what you're actually doing in this space, but I think it would be good to, how do you say, like make, make it all clear because not everybody necessarily know what is Web3, Metaverse, even NFT. So if you can give us maybe a short description of what is each and, and what is it good for? So let's use an analogy of a kind of piece of wasteland somewhere in a town near you. And this wasteland, you kind of think to yourself, we should do something with this. What should we do? So we get some funding. We bring in some local architects and they say, you know what would be great here? Let's build a playground. So the architects come along, the builders build all of the swings and the rockets and the spinning wheels and all that cool stuff. The kind of um, helter skelters and the slides that kids play on. Well, that's the metaverse. So the playground is actually the metaverse finished, well, as a work in progress. But the architects and the builders and the people that put the things there, that's Web3. So effectively, what happens is these two things come together. One is a tool specifically focused on creating or enhancing an open virtual space. Remember that the metaverse is persistent. So when you go to sleep tonight, the metaverse yeah. will still be open and people will still be there and they'll be socializing and doing all of those great things. But that's what's wonderful about metaverses is that they're always there. Video games, you have to switch them on. You have to go into them. You have to do what the game designer requires you to do. But in a metaverse, you can go anywhere, do anything. You can even create tools for it. So you can be a Web3 developer in that space. But the metaverse really is one big, open, free playground. And I love how you how you said it. I think nobody has ever explained it to me in the in the playground kind of metaphor, which makes so much sense. But then if you look at the NFT, then how does the NFT comes in? So the NFT really is like a baseball card. It's a souvenir. It's a kind of ticket stub. It's the kind of portion that you get for... You pay or you don't pay to go into the playground. Someone gives you a ticket stub and says, thanks for coming to our playground. Here's the ticket stub or here's the baseball card. And then what you can do with that is you can keep it. That Behind me, I have an NFT. So I've kept this for the last like two years or so. But you can also trade it. So you can trade it for other things. You might want a better NFT or you might want to trade it for money or tokens or a different type of utility. And utility is the key to NFTs. If they don't have anything meaty or juicy that you can take away with you as an NFT, then they're really not worth having. So it's like the experience or the, the ticket that allows you to get an access to a party or to a baseball game or, or anything else Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to the nft yeah that's called utility so thanks for putting this straight and i remember you told me on our previous conversation that this background is actually your nft and you all always uh use it um so that that's a great example for that so now in, in what way because we talk about this and as you said the metaverse it's online it's always there uh, life is happening there while we speak and while we sleep. But in what ways can we improve our physical world and even businesses uh, for the business owners uh, who listen to us using the metaverse? So how can we enhance this world using that world? 
So there's a great deal of opportunity in this space because we already know in the metaverse that brands are racing to get in here. One of the reasons why brands like this space so much is because they have instant access to an unfettered audience. So brands and businesses are maybe not making incredible returns on investment, but they are creating fantastic brand awareness. So if I wanted to use the metaverse to be able to develop, well, which is what I did with Thinking Heads, to develop a speaker bureau inside that space, I would be able to do that. And I did actually do that. And I launched it last week to great fanfare because it's the first time really that we've been able to go into a space and really connect with our speakers or connect with our audience on a very intimate level. Yes, we meet them physically, but we can get even closer to them because what our avatar creates for us is a series of interesting experiences. Metadata is one of them. So if you click on me, you can find out all of my bio, find out where I'm speaking, where I am in the world, all of that cool stuff. Now, a lot of people that go to speaking events will not ask those questions of you and I, Laurent. So what we have to be able to do is provide as much information as we possibly can in the short time that we have. And that just doesn't just work for speaker bureaus. It also works for fashion brands. It works for, I talked about avionics earlier. We can create simulated experiences for avionics where we could create a cockpit simulation, for example, mm -hmm. and we can do safety simulations inside that space. I know that people use a lot of digital twins um, to be able to test certain environments. This is really helpful if you use things like VR because you can get so much closer to the object than you can if everybody is sort of dialing in on a Zoom call. So it's yeah. kind of like Zoom Plus and it makes the experience much more closer, intimate and real. And I like what you said, first of all, um, uh, the first that you can, the fact that you can create things for the first time, like the first speakers bureau, because the metaverse is rather new, then many things, it's like an, an, a, a ready to go land that you can make so many things for the first time there, which is amazing. And on the other hand, I just remember that uh, maybe a year ago, um, a colleague just told me that Snoop Dogg bought a land in the metaverse and he wants to buy a land next to him because probably the, the value will rise. So they're all kind of like similar things to the physical world, but in the new land of metaverse. Absolutely. It's just a yeah. twinning method. And you, to your point about Snoop Dogg, there yeah. are certain metaverses and worlds that are specifically about music. So if you think about Fortnite, when Travis Scott appeared in Fortnite, you know, millions of young people went along to that concert. Yes, it happened in the pandemic, But a lot of young people in Gen Z and Gen Alpha are now starting to assume that the norm is not going physically to Coachella yeah. or Glastonbury. They actually are just going into Fortnite and going watching Ariana Grande or participating in uh, other kind of experiences. Because what it does is yeah. it creates an additional fun extension of ourselves. And that's what we're looking for when we look at ourselves in the metaverse and Web3. So to do fun and to have an extension of ourselves, which has two sides, and I'm going to touch on one of, it, one of them later, but um, I want to know, so what are, what are the business opportunities available for startup founders on the metaverse? Because, you know, some, many of the audience here are either startup founders or young professional working in high tech, and maybe their companies are looking at the metaverse. 
So what would be what would be the way of they could think, get their head around using the metaverse for business? Um, yeah, so mentorship, you know, is available in there. You will find a lot of VCs hanging around. It's a heavily invested space. So if you have like a cool concept that works really well inside the metaverse and you're looking for angel or VC investment, then you're going to find it there because that's where all the VCs are at the moment. They want to be there. Yeah. And so there's banking that happens inside the metaverse. Mm -hmm. There is like a whole host of stuff that happens in there that can support and underpin the startup environment and ecosystem Mm -hmm. really well. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. Um, and I guess it's it's probably in some events or, I mean, some, how do you find them? How do you go about in finding those? Well, I mean, it all boils down to the metaverse generally. And I always say to people, and, and I'll, we'll probably talk about this in more detail later, but first of all, you've got to find a metaverse that suits you. Some metaverses are focused on fun. Some metaverses are focused on business, education, um, simulation, you know, twinning, digital objects, NFTs. You just got to figure out which one's right for you and then go with that one because that's where you'll find all of those folks that I was just talking about. But it does take a little bit of testing. I don't think we can be distanced with the metaverse. We have to get in there and get our hands dirty. You remember that playground analogy? We've got to get in the sand pit. We've got to get our hands dirty. We've got to make mud pies. We've got to figure out what works and what doesn't work for us. Because it's not for everybody. Yeah, and that and that's a good point. Eventually, you need to you need to go in there to try it out, to see, to learn, to know people, and then find find your way and what what's good for you. With this again, richness of of just I guess anything that you can imagine, you can do on the metaverse. Yeah. Um, and I want to share another thing because you 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 what you do in in some ways is also to reveal the links between the physical and the virtual realms and you help businesses to navigate the world of web3 and again this brave new uh uh, decentralized world and i i hear of many web2 companies startups that are trying to see how they can transition to the web3 and again along with this a new wave. So what would be your best um, advice on transitioning from a Web 2 company to Web 3 and what which sectors can even start uh, are, are best for, for, for doing this transition? It's about streamlining everything that we do. Whereas previously, and I've worked for quite a lot of Web 2 or pre-generation companies, and those companies you know, still operate very antiquated procedures in how they do things from purchase ordering, I guess, which is really boring, to um, design concepts. The beauty of the metaverse is that we can do all of this stuff live. So we can create our own space by our own piece of real estate that you already mentioned, Noah. And what we can do is we can start to build out in that space automated systems, AI, you know, more chatbots and more uh, NPCs, which are non-playable characters, are used to meet and greet people in the metaverse than ever before. They take notes, they take um, direction, and they help people to be able to navigate their way around this space. And I think that's great for business because previously we would need a customer service agent to help and direct and move you know, where we were going, all the types of customers that we wanted and the types of business we were developing. But no more. We can get 
kind of bots to do that for us to a greater extent. And additionally, yeah. you know, this streamlining process that I was talk- talking about revolves around everything from web tools to, to what I mentioned before. You know, you have to get on a, a, a tram or you've got to get on a Zoom call to speak to your local relationship manager at the bank when you can actually just drop into the metaverse and just do it directly. You can just speak to that relationship manager directly if you wish to. Mm-hmm. So that's through the avatars, like my avatars. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. In in cases like metaverse is such Mm -hmm. a spatial, the beauty is you can click on a button and a little video screen appears above your head. So the relationship manager knows, oh, that's Kelly Vera, of course, Mm -hmm. the blue hair. And I can see her face and she's talking to me. But my avatar is gesticulating. My avatar is present. And we're having just a regular conversation. It's great. And basically, when you're at home, just to understand, you are just in front of a computer. Do you have any Oculus Rift or, or no, no, something similar? No. Just, in front, yeah, of just in front of a computer. Yeah, like I would be in a Zoom call, right? But sometimes yeah. it's just much more relaxing to see the face and put yeah. that face to the avatar um, for a lot of people. Because I think Web 2 folks, they do need convincing about how they're going to transition into Web 3. It's still yeah. a very scary prospect for a lot of them. But quite a few folks mm-hmm. are taking on the mantle of Web 3, and they're really racing ahead with some fantastic ideas. And more importantly, everybody in Web 2 feels super motivated. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Motivation is always a really great kind of yeah. ingredient, <laughs> isn't it, and driver. Definitely. And, and as you said, as many, as much as more and more companies and, and and people are involved in the metaverse, then obviously it will become more popular and, and more would like to, to use this experience to enhance their sales or product experience. Um, but um, let's let's dive into some examples. For example, I know you're working, you're using games in the luxury and fashion industry with a company called Naked, which is actually an Israeli company. So yeah. I would love to know more about what are you doing with Naked and how can the metaverse impact the fashion and luxury luxury industries oh quite easily so what we're doing at naked is we're taking um existing clothing or new collections and we're using something called a plm which is a product lifecycle management system every single fashion brand in the world uses them we take that information we plug it into our machine and then we distribute out a series of digital versions of this clothing that goes into Decentraland, Sandbox, Avakin Life, Call of Duty, Sepeto. And then the, the beautiful part of this is that for the first time ever, people can actually buy the physical clothing whilst they're wearing the clothing inside the game. You heard so it this here is first. Where I can buy like luxury brands. No, it's not, probably not going to be so expensive. And my avatar could enjoy this Louis Vuitton or any other fashion. Brand. Absolutely. So yeah. I know that I can't afford an, uh, an Alexander McQueen yeah. jacket or look, but in the metaverse, I can. My avatar can. Yeah. I'll pay $5 for an entire look, and that will open a whole new world of brand awareness. For the yeah. client and for the brand, this is priceless. And you know something, I work a lot on the concept of personal branding. And obviously, personal branding is not just what you do or what you post on social media. It's also much about how you look and what you wear now. I'm not a stylist. Yeah. But obviously, it it also says a lot about you. So what you're saying, just to get my head around it, then, then 
also in the metaverse, the way how your avatar looks matter. And if you would have your avatar in the specific, let's say, luxury brand's clothes, that would also could increase your brand in front of those other avatars you're engaging with. Listen, I mean, yeah. we know that we have facts on this, Liron. 60% of all Generation Z metaverse users now focus their entire being inside the metaverse on their appearance wow so if 60 percent of those users are focused just on their appearance they need that content to be able to drive their look their personal brand who they are it's so important to gen z and millennials these days we can't even as old folks i'm talking about myself here because you're lovely Mm -hmm. and young but we can't quite get our head around it because we don't come from that world personal branding to us was always the things that we wear physically but to think that our future generations are now thinking about how they look digitally first before Mm -hmm. physical it's incredible before physical Yeah. yeah wow that's definitely incredible so you're saying this is one important trend about the fashion and how you look on the metaverse. What other um, examples could you give about the, the the use of the metaverse for, again, for not fashion industry, maybe for other industries? Like you gave us uh, customer uh, support, for example, banks in this regard. What other industries are very much, let's say, growing? Um, well, a, 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 yeah, a real growth area in this space is definitely museums. Um We've had a really interesting time this year, post-pandemic with museums. We've got a lot of climate change activists who I completely appreciate and admire for what it is that they're doing to try and, you know, change the narrative about climate change on the planet and make us think more and care more. But what this has done, actually, is damaged quite a lot of the reputation of museums worldwide because they have fantastic classic pieces of artwork in there. And they can't protect them because it's a physical entity. What the metaverse is doing here is it's creating twin versions of those museums. So that if we want to look at the Mona Lisa or we want to look at the Kiss by Gustav Klimt, we can go into spatial and we can do that today. It's on a wall somewhere in a gallery inside a museum. So we know that museums are a real big mover in this space. They are transitioning massively from physical to digital. I mean, the Smithsonian is one example, and they have something ridiculous, like 29 million artifacts that they need to get into a digital sphere in the next 30 years. I don't think they're going to do it. It won't happen in my lifetime. 29 million is a lot of artifacts to try and transfer. Yeah, big. It's huge. On the one hand, preserve this artwork. On the other hand, obviously share it with, with more masses. Um, and the great, and, and I think the greatest way to preserve climate change and the planet moving forwards is to digitize. It seems so silly, but it's completely obvious. What stories yeah. are we going to tell our kids through physical items and artwork? We're yeah. not going to be able to tell them the full story. But if we go into a digital space, we already have our young people in a place where they think to themselves, I get it, because I'm already in a digital space. So I understand you. But hand them something physical and say, this is the most expensive painting created of all time. They won't know what to do. They yeah. just don't handle physical items anymore. So we need to educate. And a great way to be able to do that is digitize. So you're saying metaverse is good for education, for obviously commerce. Fantastic. For fantastic. Interaction for 
getting your imagination, you know, going wild with your imagination. Now, um, you talked about a lot about the younger generations, which obviously are, are, are the main users, but how can we ensure that, um, I mean, I think one of the main things is about the, the human interaction. Like you said, that they're, they're going in there and they're interacting with people, but it's still not face-to-face. -face. And maybe they, the younger generation is born to a digitalized reality. But how can we still ensure they're not going to lose their human touch, their interaction, the small talk, this, you know, look at someone in the eye and, and have this, you know, hormones and feelings that are coming out when we talk to someone face-to-face? I think this is a really good point that you make mm -hmm. here because a lot of people don't know how to overcome this obstacle. Yeah. And I think this obstacle can be easily overcome because we come from an analog age, well I do, where <laughs> you would find me you would find me in a library, you know, deep into a book and people would say, "Ah, she's so bookish. She never goes out and plays with the other kids. She never does." But where you feel the safest and where intelligence mm -hmm. grows is the place that you want to be or where you just feel comfortable, where it's your place. And I think that the same thing follows in the metaverse. We are definitely going to have these moments where we think, oh, God, they never come out of the metaverse. They're always in there or they're always gaming. But, you know, science has showed us that children learn faster by playing games so they learn repetition very quickly. That helps them to understand coordination. One of the great things that I did with Equiland was I committed our um, interactivity inside the games world into a physical entity. So everything you learned in there, you would have to take outside of that world and do it physically, like cooking pasta, for example, oh. or playing basketball or throwing balls or counting and that would be measured by your parents or your guardians. But in the game, it would be measured by your peer groups or your teachers. So it's easy to connect these things. It's just that we aren't using our imagination enough to be able to do that right now. We just see the metaverse as being this digital walled space where children never escape, like it's some kind of prison. And that's just not true. So what you're saying, first of all, there are many ways to do like cross cross-world interaction like metaverse and as you said you learn how to cook pasta and you do it in the metaverse but then you do it at home which is think that's a, a wonderful way to use both worlds um and also um you didn't if you don't mind sharing your story uh you, you told me before that you were um a woman in a in a man's gaming world and you had this moment where you got into the into the the gaming world and i want you to please share this story and also if you can add on that how can we make sure that the industry would would get more female and be more um diverse yeah diversity is really big and it's really lacking you know if you follow me on linkedin which i'm sure a few people watching this might and think oh no she's gonna say it again but I am quite salty on LinkedIn because I really do think that women deserve a seat at the table. And I get very, very passionate about this to the point of going crazy. And the reason why is because we share the same workload within our peer group as everybody else. I don't understand when people say, oh, there was a really great panel at Slosh this week. And I don't see a single woman on the panel. And I think, well, where is my voice? How do who do I look up to? Where are my role models? They aren't there. And so when I was coming up in the games industry, 
one of the biggest role models was me because I didn't have anybody else to look up to. All of my role models were from the 1800s. Mm-hmm. You know, Ada Lovelace, the, wow. the, the, the wizardess of numbers, you know, that she was dead by the time <laughs> I was born. By a hundred years, I couldn't ask her anything. I couldn't be mentored by her. So then who's left? And so there are lots of women who feel like they're in that position, especially in technology. And we've discovered in more recent days that there aren't enough women that are working in cybersecurity. And there aren't enough people, especially women who are neurodiverse, who are working in technology at all. They're being put off from working in technology because, again, there's no role models neurodiverse uh, conditions I wouldn't really call them conditions I think there's something to celebrate but that diversity is just really lacking in all of our industries because there's so much we can learn from people by taking a different view and so when I was coming up in the games industry I was surrounded by quite a lot of guys who when you used to have to do job interviews for example would say hey come and sit on my knee and let's figure out if you know we're going to give you the job and stuff and I was like this isn't right by the time that I get higher up in my career I will not be asking questions like that of my male counterparts and employees so why would somebody be asking me to sit on their lap it just seems crazy So that was a real good fuel for me to kind of drive my career ever forward, you know, just so I wouldn't be like some of those horrid old bosses that I had back in the day when I first went into the games industry. Also, diversity in terms of culture, the games industry is filled with culture. We tend to spend two years at a time in technology working on specific products, and then we move from country to country. And with that, we take our own oral histories, our own stories, like what we're talking about today, more importantly, our own cultures. And we share those cultures with the countries that we're in. And usually in the games industry, everybody is very receptive to different cultures. That's what makes our industry really great. But we need more. We need more people who are brave and committed enough to move between countries, take their culture with them, take their heritage with them. And yeah, that that would be the dream, uh, ideal situation for me is to work with, you know, a company that has 70 different nationalities or, you know, many different cultures that I can learn from and I can develop myself with those cultures. And that's really important too. Definitely, definitely. And I like what you said. I want to emphasize that about um, that you were your own role model. And I think it's important for, for many women who listen to us. And, and you know, I remember, I mean, when I when I started my way, um, sometimes we just need to, you know, to know that we are our own role models and more would come along the way and really push towards what we believe in, as you said, what makes us feel good, what inspires us. Um, so definitely uh, uh, great to hear to hear this story. And you know, it just reminded me. Um, I was talking to a colleague who's um, who's also one of the uh, um, pioneers of the metaverse here in Israel. His name is Adam Kedem, and he said that um, he has a friend. He he ha- he's a part of this group on the metaverse, uh, and one of the group members unfortunately passed away. And there oh. was this glorious. Um, a funeral where you people came with their avatars and they buried him and then he was there and they showed pictures from all you know types of times of, of his life and it was sound like so 
connecting and emotionals. And I was surprised to know such things also happen in the metaverse. So if you're talking about bringing people together, even diversity. We've, um, got, to, we've got to split apart at some point. Yeah, the metaverse and us yeah. isn't forever. We are made of physical stuff and we can't live forever. That's true. I yeah. talk about digital death quite a lot, actually. You just reminded me, Laurent, because mm-hmm. I just find that whole subject fascinating. When we move away from a social platform, does it really move away from us? No, it doesn't. It stays with us. And yeah. is that a legacy? For a lot of people, they don't want to be remembered for being that person on Facebook. So they close their Facebook account down, never to be seen again. But for people who don't know that their time has come and that they do pass away, what happens to them digitally? Well, what tends to happen is they stay on the server until somebody says, actually, this person has passed you know, mm-hmm. they need to kind of be taken off the server. But I think that's yeah. kind of nice because we take tributes to, you know, our mothers and fathers and grandparents and we respect their life. We never seem to do the same thing digitally. And I think it's important that we do. We spend a lot yeah. of our lives online and we should be remembered for what it is that we've done in digital. So I think that's a fantastic story that you tell there. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's made my day, actually. I like that. <laughs> it is. It's, uh, it was very emotional when, when I heard about it. I'll bet. I want to move. I want to jump to, again, to the hardcore business, more to the global corporation's point of view, because I know many of them uh, trying or getting into the metaverse. I think you mentioned Accenture and all kind of companies. Yes. So what do they do? How do they support and what, what, what do they do to support um, the physical world through the metaverse and I think more importantly what example can startup founders take from what the corporate do and maybe get inspired to do something themselves again I'm a rapid um, developer so when I've got an idea about something I want to make it straight away whether it's an app or whether it's actually you know something bigger like a video game the metaverse as I said before provides us with a great opportunity to do things live Mm-hmm. And because of that, that's perfect for startups. You know, we've got to fail fast when we're yeah. startups. And so a great way to do that is to not lose any time. And losing time always with startups is a thing that holds them back from getting into the marketplace. So the metaverse provides you with an opportunity to say, okay, I'm just going to build this real quick, see if it works. If it doesn't work, let's go. Whether you're building a kitchen sink or whether you're building, you know, a huge conglomerate it's really important and then to the accenture i mean what they're doing is really interesting because the way that they onboard new employees now is they provide them with a laptop and a cell phone which is what everybody gets when they work for any technology company worldwide but what julie sweet the ceo decided to do this year was also provide them with a headset so they could go directly into the Accenture metaverse where they could socialize where they could do all of the HR onboarding that you would expect to do remember Leon that we live in a remote world now so it's super important that we don't just do this face-to-face stuff and so what Julie came up with was a great opportunity for HR to be able to onboard people effectively efficiently and more importantly gamify it so she could test or or Accenture could test exactly what you've learned. And you would be able to see that as a scorecard or some kind of leaderboard inside that space. It makes yeah. you hungry for business. It makes you hungry to improve. It makes you hungry to be a better employee, 
we know that research shows that in terms of player behavior. Mm -hmm. And so I think that this kind of stuff on a business intelligence level is vitally important to us moving forwards. Um, And I thought that that was a really nice touch that everybody received an Oculus headset or, Mm -hmm. you know, an HTC headset or something, because it just gave people an opportunity to go straight in without thinking, oh, no, what is this about? I don't really understand VR. You don't have to understand VR. You just have to go into the art. Just go yeah. for it. Yeah. Just experience it. Yeah. And you know, it makes me think of another question because uh, you know, I've been I've been researching uh the business relationship, aka networking world for over a decade. And in the past decade, it has changed obviously with going more online and so on. So how would you see the the personal, I would say personal relationship, aka or business relationships in the metaverse? How would it evolve um through time? Again, you know, like I said before about the museum, I think that we just have to take some of the constructs that we assume are never going to leave us, which they won't, and just place them into a digital space. You know, networking is such an important part of what we do. But I see LinkedIn, for example, as being in the metaverse five years from now. Why not? Why should we be going through everyone's newsfeed and, and finding out, you know, what they did kind of last week. We want to celebrate them. We want to celebrate them by knowing immediately and having a conversation like we are now. How are you? What have you been working on? Oh, well, I've been working on this. Okay, we don't need to read that on the news feed anymore. We can just go directly to the source of the information and ask them directly, do you want to work with me? Shall we work together? Hey, let's do it. We'll take this conversation out into a break room and we'll figure out how we're going to work together. And that's just amazing. It's almost as though I see the world becoming like, or especially the world of networking and business as being a huge exhibition, a huge world's fair, mm-hmm. and a great opportunity that is live, persistent, and never ending. It's completely infinite. Yeah. Wow. So definitely. So I can meet people like if I'm going to a conference, I can obviously meet them in the metaverse and have this small talk and maybe even read their information about them. And that would like allow me to even have more knowledge and and connect with them better or even understand hey this is not for me um yeah absolutely it's just a different way of of using or communicating in a way but interesting very interesting and obviously you've been dealing with this world for so many years and you've been developing it and contributing to it so what is your vision or even your mission for the metaverse well i think the metaverse should do the power of good Mm -hmm. i don't think that it has to be a place that we can say is quite elitist because it is at the moment Mm -hmm. you know everybody is going to specific events because they've been driven there or user acquisition takes them there I, I kind of feel that the metaverse could be a great power for good a great platform to be able to as I said before be educated network yeah. and low cost you know the metaverse is free if yeah. we have to pay for the metaverse then we've got a problem But the metaverse is definitely free. And because it's free, that answers a lot of the questions that we have about the poverty gap. I want the metaverse to give me the same experience in Shanghai as I would expect in Rio de Janeiro. I don't want us to have the an experience that only people in Oslo can experience or only people in London or Tel Aviv can experience. I want it to be a real community. And it won't be a community while people are going around creating these elitist wall gardens that no one can Mm -hmm. enter unless they've been seconded or, you know, brought here by some kind of member. This is 
garbage. We don't want to do this. This is terrible. We want everyone, our children, our grandmothers. We want everybody to be in a space where we can fully, wholly, holistically connect with them. And as you said, give a fair opportunity for everyone around the world. I mean, that could be a great way to connect with people from, again, maybe the poorest countries, considering they have an internet, obviously, to, um, to as you said, the richest. Uh, and, and I like what you said about bringing people together, cultures, experiences, languages. I mean, we can learn so much and the internet has enabled us to connect people, but this sounds like it, it of course, helps us to connect on different levels and create things together. And I think... Uh, I think for, for me, you taught me so much about the metaverse and, and what can be done um, to connect, to enjoy, to create. My um, pleasure. And it's so amazing that, that that's, that's what you're doing. So what's, what's another passion project that you're working on these days, if you want to share with us? Well, I'm working on some great projects, actually, at the moment. I'm creating a California vineyard for a client at the moment which is quite interesting how what does a grape look like in the metaverse and can I grow my own yes you can there's lots of great things you can do in the metaverse I want to be able to help the client to teach their clients and their customers about the grape to the bottle experience how that is impacted by the climate and so real-time weather systems inside the metaverse are important AI is super important in the metaverse, you know, giving voice to communities and small businesses inside the metaverse as part of what it is I'm doing with the Napa Valley project is really important to create a small business as a big player on the world stage. So I'm thoroughly enjoying everything that I'm doing at the moment. I'm also creating a casino for a client mm-hmm. in the metaverse. So a land-based casino is going to find itself as a digital construct in the next few months, which is very exciting indeed. And as usual, I am educating, evangelizing and talking about the metaverse with anybody who will listen. Amazing. And obviously, it's easy to see that you love what you do, that you're passionate really about do. it, that you, you know, bring forward your your unique specialty around this. So, um, Kelly Vera, I want to thank you so much for being here. Um, it has been a great pleasure. And the pleasure has been mine, by the way, because mine, mine. <laughs> I'm such a fan of yours. I just think your show is amazing. Oh you get God. to speak to all of the amazing business folks, and we really need to learn from them. So your voice is very important in our industry, and you're a woman. You're really driving this agenda forward. So high five to you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. And for everybody here who wants to connect with Kelly Vero, um, I'll try to say it right. So she's on Discord. Um, Electric Geisha hashtag. Yeah, seven one four. I will also have it next to this video. So I'll read it, but I'll also you could also stay next to this video. Um, on Avakin Live, it's um, capital KL six dash capital G three three. Skype, LinkedIn, of course, Kelly Vero, Twitter, Electric Geisha. And it's interesting that you don't have uh, Facebook, you don't have Instagram. So, guys, this is where you can find her, right? No more Web 2 for me. It's Web 3 all the way. You walk the talk. You just exactly. Talk, and I love it, Kelly. Kelly, when are you coming to Israel? 
Is there any? I'm going to be here very, very soon. And yes, we are going to be meeting each other. So I'll be very excited to see you. Yeah, again, the pleasure would be all mine. Mine. (laughs) This is such a... Yeah, definitely. I would love to. I love fast. (laughs) Thank you. It would be my honor. And there's so much that we can learn from you. And and obviously, I would love to show you our our beautiful uh, city of Tel Aviv and everything we have here to share. Um, Yeah, and again, Kelly Vero, creative badass, NFT and metaverse rebel, fashion disruptor, future gazer, game developer, speaker, and an amazing, amazing person. I'm really fortunate to have you here. Um, And I want to thank everybody, you guys, the viewer, for watching the Leroy Glickman Show, the show that explores the human component around business and marketing communication in a hybrid world. And of course, uh, thanks to uh, Thinking Heads, our speakers agency that Okay, did this match and supports uh, this uh, show. Thank you so much. Subscribe to my channel. And Kelly, I'll see you in Israel. See you in Tel Aviv. Thank you for having me. <laughs> bye bye, everybody. Thank you, Leon. Bye. Bye.